And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so also, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it came to pass, When he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man but Go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. It came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? but God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Now what follows is our text. Whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, 
or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And that's the end of our text. But we'll read yet verse 26. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Thus far we read from the Word of God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we consider this morning on the occasion of the celebration and administration of the Lord's Supper this well-known story of Jesus healing the paralytic or the man with palsy or to you children, the man who was paralyzed, that is, he could not move, not even to walk. This story, this account is well known in the first place because it is recorded in all the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it is repeated frequently. Besides that, we know this story because especially of the strange manner in which this man was brought unto Jesus. He was not one who came to him and walked up to Jesus, but he had to be brought upon a bed and then not simply brought directly to Jesus, but was prevented from coming to Jesus. And so his friends with great faith were rather creative walking and taking this man upon the roof of the house where Jesus was found and tearing apart the roof so that there was a hole made big enough for this man's bed and lowering him down on ropes in front of Jesus. This passage, well known to us, is also very, very fitting for us on the occasion of the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. First of all, because the paralytic, the paralyzed man who was unable to come to Jesus of his own accord and was even brought to Jesus by a very unusual means, therefore, is a picture of us. A picture of us who, because of our depravity and sin, are unable to do any good, so much so that we are not even able to come to Jesus, and we may even add, even unwilling to come to Jesus. And that also is pictured in the Lord's Supper, in that the Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal that all of our salvation is a work of God and a work of God by His grace. Secondly, this is fitting because this story of Jesus asking this question and healing is the same thing pictured for us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Namely, that it is a sign and seal 
that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And also, it is a sign and seal that Jesus has the power to heal us, to command, rise up, take up thy bed and walk, and to have that healing effective in the people to whom he gave himself in death. This sign and seal of the Lord's Supper and its application to us is brought to us by Jesus himself when he asks a question and in that question shows by what he does that his intention is for us to know his power and especially his power to forgive sins. Consider that with me this morning. Knowing Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And we look first of all at that important question that Jesus asks. Secondly, the irrefutable proof of Jesus' power to forgive sins. And then finally, the irresistible effect of that power. The important question that the sermon refers to is the question of whether or not Jesus has the power to forgive sins. That's the important question. That question, however, is not asked directly. That question is rather raised indirectly by Jesus when he asks his audience, what is easier to say? What is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven or rise and walk. What's easier to say? Now Jesus, by that, is a teaching that there's an important question regarding Jesus that we all must ask. And that question really is not what is easier to say, but does Jesus have the power to forgive sins? And that question, I say, is not simply an important question, but one must see this is the most important question that one could possibly ask about life and with regard to one's self. Far too often, the most important question to us is whether or not we shall have health and wealth. Maybe even the most important question to us is, does Jesus have the power to bring me health and wealth? Perhaps with regard to not only Jesus but ourselves, we may ask all sorts of other questions rather than the one Jesus brings to our mind. Does he have the power to forgive sins? Maybe it's there, but it's way on down the list. It's not only an important question, even the most important question for us to ask with regard to our life and ourselves personally, but with regard to Jesus himself. The most important question with regard to Jesus is not 
whether he is simply God or even whether he is also man, as important as those questions are, the most important question about Jesus is not who he is, not only, not even whether he was real or whether he could do miracles. Jesus brings before our mind that when confronted with Jesus, when hearing the word of Jesus, the question we must ask is, does he have the power to forgive sins? And Jesus wants us to know that and is why he asks. It's one reason Jesus, in fact, first forgives the man's sins and asks that question. It's why he does that first, because that's not the most important question, not the one his audience ought to ask. And he knew that because his audience was gathered to see miracles. Even this man and his friends knew, had faith, Jesus said, that he has the power to do miracles, that he has the power to effectively change a man. And as great as that knowledge might be, and as wonderful as such a faith might be, Jesus says there's something more important and more fundamental. That is, do I have the power to forgive sins? And pronounces that upon the man before commanding him to rise and walk. Jesus knew that if he claimed to have such power, that there would many, would be many who would assume that it was simply an empty boast. It is amazing that even with regard to Jesus' audience, some believing and some unbelieving, like the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, could not dispute the fact that Jesus had the power to work miracles. <clears throat> it was way too obvious, way too plain. They had heard about his working of miracles, which is why they came. They wanted to see that, see that for themselves. There was no disputing that. And why many in the same audience took offense when Jesus rather instead told the man his sins were forgiven and asked that question, who has power to forgive sins but God? The reason for that is because the unbelieving then and the unbelieving now Assume that it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise up and walk. That's really what's at issue today. People easily and quite quickly forgive sins. Forgive the sins of those who sin against God. Forgive the sins of those who sin against them. Forgive sins without any basis. Forgive sins supposing that simply forgiveness itself is a virtue. 
Or if there is some basis, if there is some recognition that there has to be a basis or ground for forgiving the sins of others, that which makes it so difficult is not that basis or ground itself, but what makes it so difficult is our own human nature, our own human pride. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to admit either that we have sins. And Jesus points to something else. He says, oh no, what you must understand, and the reason I'm raising this issue, is that, in fact, it's no easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say rise up and walk. Jesus is not teaching here or implying that one is easier than the other. What He is in fact saying and teaching is that the very same power that is necessary for the one is necessary for the other. What He's saying and teaching His audience is that if I have the power to forgive sins, then necessarily I have the power to say rise up and walk. And the other way around, too. Do you not know, he is saying, that it is just as difficult, just as hard, just the demonstration of my power to say rise up and walk, as it is to say your sins are forgiven. If I can do the one, then I can do the other. And the Pharisees, recognizing rightly that no one can forgive sins but God, failed to recognize that that's also the power by which He healed and would do the miracle. Surprisingly, the Pharisees, knowing the law of God, knew what many reject and fail to recognize today, that it is truly only God who has the power, or can, in their words, forgive sins. Even when we forgive the sins of others, we are not, in fact, forgiving their sins. But we are pronouncing the forgiveness of sins with the understanding that only God can do that. And only can God can do that in the first place because all sin is ultimately against God. Even sins directly against us, the real offense is not that they were against us, but that they are against God. And therefore, only God can forgive sins because only God has the right as well as the authority, the right as well as the power to determine what actions are sin and what actions are not. And then also determine what sins are actually forgiven and what sins are not. And we, the proud creatures that we are, often assume that prerogative, that right and that power even for ourselves. The fact of the matter is, even when we forgive the sins or debts of others, we do so by faith understanding that only God can forgive sins. Now, 
The Pharisees recognized that. What they failed to recognize and what Jesus is driving at is the very same power is needed to heal. This, therefore, is a very even most important question for us to ask this morning. As we gather here at the Lord's table, the question is, does Jesus have the power to forgive sins? And even more specifically, the power to forgive your or my sins. Like the audience of Jesus' day, there may be many reasons why we gather here in this place to sit at the feet of Jesus. Perhaps some come because they've heard Jesus can do miracles in such a place. They want to learn a little more about Jesus. They want to inspect Him for themselves or are curious about what He has to say. There may be some of us gathered here who come as Pharisees to try and expose Jesus as a fraud because that, you see, is the issue. That's the issue. If Jesus says these things but does not do them, then He's a fraud. He's not genuine. He's not real. He is not who He says He is, which is, at, is what's at stake when we deny that forgiveness alone comes from Jesus and that healing alone comes from Jesus. Some come, indeed, because they want to hear from Jesus that they're healed of their physical diseases and have no interest in Jesus healing our spiritual diseases, or perhaps come only for the healing of spiritual diseases with no sense of the need for Jesus to forgive our sins. And that is also us, people of God, by our nature. And one of the things that Jesus drives home, not simply to the unbelieving, but the believing as well. Jesus comes to us, and we sit at His feet in the preaching of the Gospel. Jesus does so also in the administration of the sacrament. Jesus not only comes to us in the preaching of the Gospel and in the sacrament, but He importantly says, your sins are forgiven. He also says to us in the preaching of the Word and in the sacrament, rise up and walk. And it is not unusual also for the ultra-Orthodox in the interest of grace to say Jesus only does one and not the other. The Gospel of Jesus is only that He forgives your sins and He pronounces that. There is no place really for the preaching and the command, rise up and walk. That, they say, would be the call of the law. The fact is, it's the call of the gospel. And Jesus effectively does one as well as effectively works the other. That's why we need to ask that question here 
this morning. Jesus says so directly and powerfully through the preaching. Your sins are forgiven. And rise up and walk. And the question to us is, what's easier to say? What's easier to say? And the answer is, neither is easier to say. And the answer is, Jesus never says one without the other. He says them both, and He effectively works both by His Word. Also, Jesus speaks the same way in the sacrament. It is a sign and seal of what Jesus says through His Word. Your sins are forgiven, and rise up and walk. The sacrament does not say that one is easier than the other. The sacrament does not say that Jesus only says, rise up and walk. Or that Jesus says only, your sins are forgiven. The sacrament is a sign and seal of both. As any child, even spiritual child, should know. It's that plain and obvious in the sacrament. Now the Lord doesn't simply say this and bring this to mind, but He demonstrates it by an irrefutable proof. Jesus demonstrates that He indeed has what He claims to have, the power to forgive sins. That's what He's demonstrating. That's what He's showing. And Jesus proves that He has such power by then going on to Heal that man from his paralysis. That's the point of the whole story. That Jesus, before all of his audience, demonstrates that he indeed has the power to forgive sins by then turning to the man and saying, rise and walk. And that happens. It's proof, of course, because the disease that that man has is both a picture and result of our own root disease of sin and depravity. Don't, under, don't forget that. The very paralysis of that man, the very disease that he had, is an effect of God's curse upon sin and upon the sinner apart from sin and the curse of God upon sin as the wages of sin is death is that that man is paralyzed. Without that, he would not be in that condition. Also, what Jesus is affecting in him, what Jesus does by commanding that man to rise up and walk, is a picture of the spiritual power of Jesus to affect in us that which we cannot do by nature. It's a picture of this reality that by nature of ourselves in our depravity and sin, such is our condition that we are unable to walk, unable to do what Jesus commands or demands, unable even, as the picture clearly shows, to even come to Jesus of our own accord. That's all part of the proof that's here and why Jesus himself says it is proof it's important that he heals the man 
not only immediately after asking that question and showing to all that this now is the proof I have the power to forgive sins, but notice this also. He heals that man in the very same way or manner in which he forgives sins, namely by speaking the word. That, by the way, and not coincidentally, is the great contrast between this miracle and the previous one that we had read about and many other miracles where Jesus heals by touch. Here, Jesus heals by speaking His Word. That demonstrates how this great power of Jesus works. Where is that power to be found? And the answer is, by Jesus speaking the Word. The very speaking of the Word. The very speaking of that Word, whether it be, thy sins are forgiven, a pronouncement or declaration, or whether it be the speaking of that Word as a command, rise and walk, both are the Word of the Gospel. Both are the Word of Jesus Christ. And both of them are the effective Word of Jesus to accomplish what He both declares and what He commands. Even more so, and more importantly, is that Jesus says, Jesus teaches as clearly as it can be taught, that His word of command, rise and walk, is the irrefutable proof that He has the power to declare your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus is teaching. Oh yes, Jesus is teaching that indeed He has the power to forgive sins. His power is not simply the power to heal from earthly diseases, earthly troubles and afflictions as so many sought of Jesus. The great power of Jesus, the fundamental power of Jesus, the power that is necessary even before He says, rise up and walk. That power must be worked and exercised before even there is the command to rise up and walk. Jesus is teaching and proving what kind of Savior He is and what His salvation consists of. The forgiveness of sins. And Jesus declares that. He speaks that. And in that declaration and in that speaking is that power. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus teaches that by His declaration, by His speaking, even by His commandment, and the effect of it, not the commandment itself, but the fact that upon saying, rise and walk, the man actually rises and walks is the irrefutable proof he has the power to forgive sins. That's why you can never, ever divorce that from the Gospel. It's being divorced. It's even being divorced from the Gospel in the interest of grace. That's the law. That's command. That's the Gospel of man. That puts all the emphasis on what man must do. Not true. It's even being denied by the teaching that all we are is totally depraved. 
That's all the regenerated sinner is. He remains unable to rise and walk. If anybody rises and walks, it's Jesus Himself. But that's not the story either. That's not what Jesus teaches. The great power of Jesus. And in fact, I emphasize again, the very proof, the irrefutable proof that Jesus has the power in the preaching of the Gospel and in the sacrament to say, your sins are forgiven is that when He says, rise up and walk, rise up and walk spiritually, rise up and walk now and obey Me, follow Me, live according to My Word, a man or a woman actually does it when they are otherwise paralyzed. That's the Gospel here. Really the same proof for us this morning. It's the proof that's being preached to you so clear that it cannot and may not be misunderstood. Any attempt to divorce these two things that Jesus teaches is not the Gospel, but a perversion of the Gospel, no matter how much it may be done in the interest of grace. No matter what the arguments are. Jesus is too clear here. And this is the proof This is the sign and seal of this sacrament. If you come here this morning and see only here the forgiveness of sins, or maybe you come here and see a sign and seal that Jesus has the power to say, rise up and walk. That would be good. That would be faith. But the real picture here is that Jesus has the power to do both. And neither one is easier. Jesus is teaching And here's the sign of the seal of why He has that power. The Pharisees, of course, asked a very good question, and they answered it in a very correct manner. Who has the power to forgive sins but God? But the question is, why is that? Is that merely because that Jesus, being the Son of God, and therefore having a divine nature, has this divine power to forgive sins? And the answer is no. No, then you miss the point. In fact, if that were true all by itself, that God, merely because He has a certain infinite power, which would include the power to forgive sins, without anything else that Jesus is teaching here, without, we might say, even Jesus Himself, would not be the truth. You see, forgiving sins isn't simply a matter of the power to make it effective, but to give the basis or ground for it. You see, we may not simply just forgive sins without a basis or ground. Otherwise, God is not forgiving sins, but neither may God. You see, He's the righteous and just God. Those sins must be satisfied. They must be paid for. Jesus cannot, God cannot, and does not, He will not forgive sins unless His curse upon those sins has been satisfied. The debt has been paid in full. Why does Jesus have the power to forgive sins? And the answer is because He, as the Son of Man, Not merely the Son of God, but the Son of Man. That's the word, the title 
used here for Jesus, came in our flesh and paid the price, paid the penalty. He satisfied. So if you ask yourself, why does Jesus have this power? The answer is not merely because he's God, but rather the answer is because he as God came in our flesh as the Son of Man to do what we could not do, to do what that paralyzed man could not do, to do what his friends could not do, which is not only that they couldn't do what Jesus commands, but even prior to that, they could not satisfy for their sins so as to have them forgiven. And Jesus is showing that, teaching that by healing that man. The sacrament, therefore, this morning, beloved, is proof itself of what Jesus teaches. Part of that proof is, in my third point now, the irresistible effect of the power of Jesus to forgive sins. That, too, we need to know. We need to know that the one, and indeed all for whom Jesus gives his life and died, do also actually know he has the power to forgive their sins. That's the issue. I'm doing this so that you know this. And what he's talking about is faith. And faith is what Jesus affects. You see, sins are actually forgiven by Jesus Christ on the cross. They're proclaimed in the preaching. They're signified and sealed in the sacrament. But they're received by us. That forgiveness is received by us only through faith. Faith is the assurance or trust, the knowing in the terms of Jesus, that without a doubt, He has the power to forgive sins. And so the effect, the effect of Jesus' very power to forgive sins is that He imparts to us the knowledge of that so that we believe and trust in Him. That can be contrasted with the Pharisees that were in the audience. Perhaps others in the audience who believed and trusted that Jesus could heal. Jesus is pointing out the importance that we know this. That is, we trust in Him. But we're not forgiven on the basis of that faith. We're not forgiven because we believe in Jesus. God doesn't look at us and say, well now, well now, I will forgive the sins of those who believe because their believing is so meritorious and satisfying to me. No. No, we're forgiven on the basis, again signified in the sacrament, of what Christ has done. The great question is, do we know that? And in the preaching of the Gospel and in the sacrament, there's a testimony that indeed, everyone for whom Christ died, all the sins of those for whom Christ died, do and will know this. That too is pictured in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper isn't simply presented to you. Here it is. Look at it. But it's distributed. It's distributed. And by faith, which the Belgic Confession says is the hand and mouth of the soul, by that faith, we will take our Lord Jesus Christ and eat and drink Him. And in that eating and drinking is the sign and seal that we trust and believe with all our heart that Jesus has the power to forgive our sins 
and the power to say, rise up and walk. And notice there, too, the effect. In that last verse we read, amazing verse, and immediately he arose before them and took up that whereupon he lay, because Jesus had commanded that. But is that all that happens? No. He departs to his own house, glorifying God. You see, that's the effect of Jesus' healing. That's the effect of Jesus forgiving one's sins and then healing them. It's not that they rise, take up their bed and walk, and then go and serve themselves. They don't go around telling everybody, look, I rose and I walk. I somehow did this of my own accord. No. Part of the knowledge that Jesus has the power to forgive sins is the knowledge that Jesus has done it all. You can be certain of that man. Why did he go home glorifying God? And the answer is because he saw God in everything that was done. He saw Jesus and his power. When his friends come and say, let's go to Jesus for healing. He saw the power of Jesus in the friends wondering how to bring him to Jesus and then coming up, let's lower him through the roof. He saw the power of Jesus to forgive sins in His commandment and the power of Jesus when He actually rose up and walked. And so He went home and glorified God. That's us too this morning, beloved, by this great power of Jesus. If we know and we believe with all our heart, without a shadow of a doubt, that He has the power to forgive sins and thus also the power to heal, the irresistible effect of that is that we will rise up and walk. We will eat and drink. And we will go home to our home, to our house. And we will glorify, not ourselves, but we will glorify our God. Amen. Let's turn now to the form for the administration of the sacrament.